Hey there everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. 3,151 amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, dozens more at patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, where for as little as a $1 subscription you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. And 5,740 plus amazing followers on TikTok at Notorious Banker. Guys, thank you so very much for the love and support. I really do appreciate it. We're back in the swing of things. COVID is fully out of my system. I feel rare to go. I lifted weights for the first time last night. And although I'm sore and I was really tired last night, I feel amazing. I feel like getting back to the normal Notorious Banker that I was. Of course, I am on Twitter all the time at Bank Better Guy, helping people out as much as I can, giving commentary to the news of the day. And there has been quite a bit of news since I last posted a podcast last week. Um, Friday was a huge day in Bank of America land. And then um, two days ago, of course, um, Elizabeth Warren, senator from the state of Massachusetts, or is it Commonwealth? I think it's Commonwealth of Massachusetts, um, said something shocking about Wells Fargo. And that's what we're going to talk about today in the podcast. But, you know, i got to tell you, as we get into the end of quarter three here, we're going to have earnings reports for the big banks. The big banks are seemingly stronger than ever, and I understand that, and I realize that. Um, With that strength that big banks have, um, the people who resist um, what big banks are doing have to be equally as strong, okay? And I'm glad that after three years of doing Notorious Banker, I see a lot of pushback from the average consumer. There's people who look at articles, who find me on Twitter, who find other people on Twitter, and they talk about the things that are going wrong with big banks, and they're sharing those experiences more than more than ever. And I really think eventually it'll come to a head, and I really think that there's going to be significant change. And I think the news topics that we're going to discuss in today's podcast will push that discussion further as to what are big banks doing for the average consumer. Um, One of them is corporate level shit with Bank of America that I want to talk about that really does matter to you. And it really does matter to the overall, you know, Bank of America mission statement, if you will. And I really want to get into that. But then the Wells Fargo thing is something that is it's red meat for the average pissed off customer, especially the average pissed off customer of Wells Fargo. When you have a um, you know a powerful senator, one of the most well known senators in the country, saying that a bank should be broken up because of what it does to consumers. And I got to tell you, it's red meat, but it's it's effective red meat because. Even if you don't like the messenger, even if you don't like the person who said it, and there are so many people who dislike Elizabeth Warren, and I'm not big on politics, I don't want to get into politics, but you know that people just, you know, some people just don't like her, and that's fine, that's America. Um, We can all agree that Wells Fargo has a lot of issues, and I think what she said can be agreed upon even with the staunchest of people who do not support Elizabeth Warren, so we're going to get into that. But, you know, I got to tell you, you know, the fall months are here. You know, fall starts next week. And I really think that we're coming upon an interesting time um, with bank news where I think you're going to see a lot of stuff happen. I think you're going to see a lot of my predictions finally come to fruition about banks announcing layoffs, about banks closing down, um, branches closing down, I guess I should say. Um, it's, It's coming, and I really feel it, and I feel adamant about it. And my work as a notorious banker isn't necessarily to, to you know, protest branches closing necessarily or protest the laying off of 
tens of thousands of workers. I mean, hell, I was one a few years ago. But it's more saying, hey, you know what? These things do impact the customer experience. I am a man of the people, and the people are bank customers. And I really think they need to know about these things, and that's why the Notorious Banker exists. So we've got two very different topics today, but two things that really do impact the customer experience when you break it down in the grand scheme of things. So after this brief promotional consideration, I'll be right back with some more, so please stick around. Hey everyone, it's James, a Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on Patreon. Yes, it's the second anniversary of patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. For as little as a $1 subscription, you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. Well, how do I do that? I use my brand of Vigilante Customer Service to help people recoup monthly maintenance and overdraft fees, deal with customer service issues such as check hold releases and fraud claim reversals, and the general customer service malaise that is the big banking industry. Banks like Bank of America, Chase City, and Wells Fargo um, have big bank mindsets but very small-minded customer service skills. The Notorious Banker fights back against that. With a subscription for as little as $1 a month, you could help me, the Notorious Banker, fight on behalf of the little guy who don't realize that they have a chance to fight back against big banks if given the opportunity. Go to patreon.com slash notoriousbanker for more information about me, more information about what I do, and to subscribe today to my Patreon. You'll also get additional podcast and video content, among other things, with that subscription as well. And I thank you so much for contributing, and my customers and my clients, my followers, my listeners, thank you too. All right, everyone, we're back with more Notorious Banker. So, of course, as you know, um, we talked about Tom Montag and Ann Finucane, two top execs at Bank of America, announcing their retirement at the end of the year a couple of weeks ago. And it's big news. It's huge news because Tom Montag was the subject of an interesting New York Times article by Kate Kelly, um, you know, talking about the toxic culture that he was a part of, about everything that's been going on since COVID happened and how frustrating um, it was for a lot of associates who worked underneath him. Uh, that they had to deal with that at all times. And I really think we're getting in this point in the world where uh, we're not afraid of talking about toxic work environments anymore. I think people are braver. I think people feel that they have a voice. I mean, hell, I have a voice doing a podcast and, you know, starting a Twitter as well. So I think people, you know, see those things are available to them and they want to speak out. And they do. And Kate Kelly's article in the New York Times pretty much spelled out the end of Tom Montag's tenure at Bank of America, despite the fact he was the de facto number two person should CEO Brian Moynihan ever pass away or something. And then Anne Finucane was, you know, arguably the most powerful woman in banking, um, so much so that the CEO Brian Moynihan said, hey, we all report to Anne, indicating that she, in fact, was, you know, the boss or she was someone that was considered one of the bosses at that company. And now she's gone. So, you know, I've I've made this statement on Twitter and I made it on a podcast or two here that I really see in the last several months that Bank of America is getting rid of old people. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's getting, it's out with the old, in with the new and cheap. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk about stuff like that, we don't really, you know, understand why. You know, I'm one of those people who's pro-minimum wage increase. Don't get me wrong. I've, you know, I have so many family members who worked minimum wage jobs their whole lives. So I understand, you know, what a daunting task it is to work for peanuts. And, you know, the fact that Bank of America was a decent paying job for yours truly. And once, of course, I left, um, $20 an hour became the standard at that company. And it's soon to be $25 an hour. 
I know working at Bank of America that there's always a catch whenever they're seemingly so nice. And the first thing that I immediately thought at $20 an hour and now at $25 an hour was um, they're looking to recruit talent that's young, that's going to be there for a long, long time that they can basically control. Um, because when whenever $20 an hour was announced, I'm like, dude, I was a manager and I was making 22 an hour. So it really alienates those people who worked at the company a decade. And they're like, what the hell? I worked my ass off for a decade and I barely got to 20. Now you're just giving it to any random joke. Well, the fact of the matter is this. I really believe the Bank of America named that minimum wage or made that minimum wage $20, then $25 to push out those older associates saying, hey, you know what? We can pay you $40 an hour because you deserve it based on your tenure. Oh, we're going to rather just force you into retirement and then find your replacement and pay them $20 an hour or $25 an hour. I really do believe that that minimum wage was raised up in order to push older people out, to push tenured people out, to do a systematic refresh of what's going on at Bank of America. It's just what they do. You know, I was in a weird region in the consumer banking side of Bank of America. I was in southern New Mexico. You know, when you live in southern New Mexico, you're not necessarily part of New Mexico, at least the rest of the state. It doesn't really feel that you're, you know, really in New Mexico, that you're part of them. They feel that you're West Texas. They feel that you're basically a whole other part of the country it's it's true because when i go up north 150 miles to see my family i feel like i'm in another state and 20 miles away i am in another state i'm in texas so in the you know 10 years i worked at uh, bank of america in las cruces new mexico uh we went through just this identity crisis we were part of uh, the New Mexico market, which included my old hometown, Socorro, New Mexico, Albuquerque, Santa Fe, all those places up north. And then they changed us to West Texas, which was El Paso. Then they changed us to something called the Southwest region, which included El Paso, Midland, Odessa, Texas, and Oklahoma for some weird reason. So our, our peers were in Oklahoma, and Oklahoma and southern New Mexico are not apples and oranges. They're apples and freaking burritos, for God's sakes. And then we were back to just El Paso, and then we were back in our own little region, which included western New Mexico and southern Arizona. And then we were also part of a market that included um, the Rio Grande Valley, which is in south Texas, like 14-hour drive away. Then we were back to El Paso, then we were back to New Mexico. Then I got fired, and then all of a sudden they're back to southern New Mexico, and they're part of the central region, and the central region is basically domiciled out of Houston and Dallas and the people who run that could give a shit about southern New Mexico or New Mexico as a whole. If that doesn't sound confusing as hell, well then I didn't do my job because it is confusing as hell. Basically what I'm saying is Bank of America just has a habit of shuffling shit around every so often just to stir things up. I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. I love, you know, World Wrestling Entertainment, AEW, and all that. And one of the things that WWE has been doing the last several years is they have a draft. Now, it's all fake. It's all, you know, predetermined and scripted. But they put on a little show every year, and they announce, hey, this person's going to this show, and this person's going to that show. And it's not, there's no strategic stuff involved. This is a decision they make weeks ago, but then they put it in the form of a television show, and people watch it. But the reason why they do that is just to keep things fresh. They're saying, hey, you know what? We're tired of seeing the same match over and over again. So we want to put this guy here and maybe we can get a couple of matches from this guy instead. 
Well, that's Bank of America in a nutshell. Bank of America just likes to say, hey, things are status quo. Now they're not. We're going to just move some pieces around. I was lucky enough to work in a city that only had two Bank of America branches, so it didn't happen that much over here. But when you live in a Phoenix, I used to talk to someone. um, We both came up through Bank of America together, and um, she worked her way up from part-time teller to manager, just like I did. Uh, But she was in the Phoenix area. And the interesting thing about um, that was, you know, she told me, like, if you want to stay with this company, do not live in a big city because you will be a chess piece for the rest of your career. And I was like, how so? So she told me that she bought a house in Avondale, Arizona, which is on the outskirts of Phoenix. It's way out there. I know whenever you drive to Vegas, it's like one of the last Phoenix quote-unquote spots before you get on the highway to Vegas. It's on the 303 freeway or whatever. It's as far out as you get from downtown Phoenix. And she bought a house there. She was working at the branch there. She was kicking ass. And she was doing really well. She turned her banking center around. And she told me, and I came to learn from my time at Bank of America, that when you kick ass, that doesn't mean that you get to move up the ranks or you get to stay in your job forever. They're like, no, you know, you did so good in Avondale. You know what we're going to do? We're going to move you over to the Mesa, Arizona main branch because they need a little help and you're the right person for the job. So instead of getting a promotion, you get the same job. Instead, you get it in a shittier bank with higher expectations because they were low expectations for so long. And they expect you to turn it around and you don't get any raise. And now, in fact, you have an hour and a half commute each way every single morning. And, of course, your house is so far away, you get done at the bank at 5.30, you get home at 7, and you fucking hate life, and you're tired, and you're just sleeping. After several years of that, she quit, and she started um, working at uh, BMO Harris Bank, Bank of Montreal Harris, which is in Phoenix. And she um, she moved on at that point. You know, she was, I don't know if she lived happily ever after. I haven't spoken to her in a while But she was done with the rat race that is Bank of America. And the reason why she was done with it is like, hey, you know what? They're just moving me around for the sake of moving me around. Because they don't like teams to get too comfortable with each other. They don't want you to be too comfortable with your customers or whatever. And so on and so forth. So she was just done with that. That long preamble leads into what I'm talking about here today. Eight minute preamble, by the way. Uh, CNBC article published by Houston September 10th. Bank of America announces new CFO, technology, and legal heads in sweeping management overhaul. The key points in a memo distributed to employees on Friday, and it's not distributed, okay? It's on the internet website. And out of the 204,000 people that work at Bank of America, um, freaking nerds like yours truly would be the only one to read that. I would probably say 10% of the people even know who these people are that work at Bank of America. They didn't distribute it. It's just there. And people choose to click on it or don't. And most of the time, your boss will get mad at you for clicking on shit saying, hey, why aren't you working? It says in a memo distributed to employees, CEO Brian Moynihan named a new CFO, technology head, general counsel, and chief administrative officer. The overhaul comes weeks after the firm announced the departure of Montag, who was widely considered the leading candidate to succeed Moynihan if needed. Internally, Dean Athanasia, Alistair Borthwick, and Steve Bolin are seen among contenders for future CEO, according to a person with knowledge of the company. Um, Steve Bolin would be the first African-American CEO in Bank of America history, and while I do believe that's an amazing thing, and that's a good thing, and that's something that can easily be in his future, 
Um, Dean Athanasian Alistair Borthwick, it's 50-year-old white guys, just like 60-year-old white guy Brian Moynihan, to be frank with you. <clears throat> and this is what Moynihan said in the in the distributed mem- memo. It says, These changes position the company with highly energized leaders who are committed to driving responsible growth through its second decade. As I shared with our board of directors, it will continue to be my privilege to serve with them as CEO. So one of the things that came with this is Brian Moynihan wants to be CEO until the end of the decade, until 2030. He'll be 70 years old at that point in time. He'll be ancient. But he wants to be there, which is very Vladimir Putin-y. And I really think the, the rearranging of the deck chairs here is giving him kind of a mandate saying, well, I got to stay here because we've got a lot of new pieces and new places and I'm the only one that's in the same spot. When in reality, they do this in order to kind of just reaffirm their power and saying, hey, I'm not going anywhere and you guys need to show me something. It says these moves solidify Moynihan's position leading Bank of America, the second biggest bank by assets. Moynihan took over in 2010, stumbling at first with the gargantuan task of cleaning up the mess left by his predecessor's acquisition of Countrywide Financial in the depths of the financial crisis. He has since steadied the ship, cutting costs and improving returns. And, you know, the thing with the CNBC article is they're going to talk about things, not internally, not the culture, not the work environment, not the is it a nice place to work. They only give a shit about cutting costs, improving, you know, quarterly earnings reports. Says this overhaul came weeks after the firm announced the departure of Tom Montag, who was widely considered the leading candidate to succeed Moynihan if needed. There is no imminent need to appoint another COO, according to a person with knowledge of the company. And of course they're not going to, because Moynihan just said, hey, we're good for the next several years. So even if Moynihan died tomorrow, I think, you know, Bank of America probably internally has some ideas about what they want to do or where they want to go with the next CEO. But they don't need to put someone as heir apparent whenever the the person that's at the helm is not going anywhere for 10 years. And that's the thing. I mentioned I was a huge WWE fan. I'm an even bigger college football fan. And one of the things that a lot of older college coaches do um, to make sure that they retain their same staff is they promise, like the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, hey, you're the head coach in waiting. When I retire, the job is yours. I will give you the headset the second that I sign my pen, you know, sign a pen, pen to paper saying I no longer want to be the head coach of whatever university this is. And this happened with a lot of places where, you know, people are like, hey, I'm going to be the coach someday. And then the fucking coach stays there until he's 85 years old and until, you know, the coach in waiting's in their 60s and they lost so much earning power when they could have been the coach of some other college. But no, they're waiting there being the coordinator because they were promised that that coach was going to leave. And that coach was never going to leave. And that happens a lot. Texas A&M has a head coach that waited a long time to be the coach um, at Florida State. Um, Syracuse College Basketball, the coach is still there after 45 years. His head coach in waiting um, went away somewhere else. And now there's another head coach in waiting. So, you know, things like that happen in other industries as well, but I, I can see what Moynihan is doing with all these, um, you know, new things here. These are the biggest changes in Moynihan's 2,249-word memo. That's a James the Notorious Banker memo there. Alistair Borthwick, a former Goldman Sachs executive who most recently ran global commercial banking, 
will succeed Paul D'Onofrio as CFO in the fourth quarter. D'Onofrio, who served six years as CFO, will become the bank's vice chair and oversee its sustainable finance efforts. Well, good for you. Aditya Basin has been named Chief Technology and Information Officer, and Tom Scrivener has been named Chief Operations Executive. The two will succeed Kathy Bassant, who served as Chief Technology Officer for more than 12 years. Bassant will relocate to Paris to become the bank's vice chair of global strategy. Um, yeah, uh, Bank of America in Paris. What a what a nice little transfer she got, right? Uh, Lauren Mogensen, I don't know if it's Morgensen or not, was promoted to global general counsel, succeeding David Leach, who is retiring next year. Mogensen had previously been the bank's head of global compliance and operational risk. Steve Bolin has been named Chief Administrative Officer, succeeding Andreas Smith, who is retiring after 34 years at the bank. Now, Steve Bolin was the head of retail banking, and they um, they mentioned who replaces him there in a second. I'll get to that. But he was also the head of home loans. Now, he's Chief Administrative Officer. And I've been following Steve Bolin around for six years now, ever since I had my issues with my home loan. And I saw how they just kind of move him around everywhere. And... I'm wondering if that's on purpose. I'm wondering if they don't let him get comfortable in one role where he can't succeed and thrive and show what he's doing. Because even when it comes to like, you know, quarterly reviews of your performance as a part-time teller, whenever you switch jobs from part-time teller to the vault teller or vault teller to teller supervisor or whatever, you can never be properly rated um, on your performance immediately. They always give you six months to a year of on-the-job training, then they can rate your performance. It seems like Bolin, who's been in so many jobs over the year, never gets comfortable, never can thrive at the job that he's had because they always move him around and there's always this grace period where he's trying to kind of learn the role that he's in and then they just move him out of the role. It makes it seem like there's always turmoil when there's really not and, you know, Bolin had, you know, success with home loans at Bank of America, even, you know, despite screwing my home loan over several years ago. And then as retail banking, you know, Bank of America would be the first to tout that, hey, they're thriving. They opened up 3 million entry-level checking accounts last year. You know, those are things that they, they are, you know, successful with. So why do they move him around? Why can't you be the best at what you do, a specialist at what you do. Now they make him chief administrative officer, and I don't know if that's a promotion or a lateral job movement, but all of a sudden he reports to different people, he has different underlings, he has different things he has to worry about. That's what I say about not wanting you to be comfortable in your role at Bank of America. And I really think something like that can impact a Steve Bolin from being CEO, because it's not like he can't kick ass at any of the jobs that he has. It's just that it seems like he's a dilettante. He's a jack-of-all-trades master of nothing, and he's probably not that. These guys are brilliant people. These guys are really, really brilliant people. So the fact that they get moved around like this just seems like it's, you know, uh, an oligarch. You know, some person, powerful person, is just moving pieces around just to show that he can. And that's what I think Moynihan is doing. That's what I think the board of directors is doing. I think they know that they're succeeding and they can play around with stuff like this because it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. It says the five new management team members are Boston, Scrivener, Mogensen, and two executives who will report to consumer banking head Dean Athanasia. 
Um, Holly O'Neill, newly appointed president of retail banking, and Wendy Stewart, head of global commercial banking. Now, I want to get to this really quick. Holly O'Neill is the woman with the leather jacket who told everyone during the COVID-19 pandemic that everything was going to be great at Bank of America. And please reach us if you need assistance during these unprecedented times. And her, her mug was on every Bank of America Twitter page uh, for the better part of the year. And while I do believe she is genuine, while I do believe that she knows and she thinks that Bank of America is doing right by her, obviously this podcast, The Notorious Banker, and my Twitter will tell you a thousand stories of people who were not helped by Bank of America, who have lost their business, who have lost their home, who have lost thousands of dollars in fees. And the person who was there, the customer experience head, I forget what her exact job title was, was not there. People would tag her and tag me on the same tweets, and she would never fucking respond to them. It was almost like she was a bot account, for God's sakes. And now she's the president of retail banking. So the job that she had, which was supposedly, you know, customer experience, customer service head, and now appointed president of retail banking, you know what that is? That's a sales job. That's her saying, hey, you know what? We got to pump these accounts up. We got to open up more accounts than ever. We got to open up more credit cards than ever, so on and so forth. So it goes from customer experience to fuck the customers. We need to get as many accounts as possible. So her and her leather jacket and her her phoniness when it came to helping people during COVID-19 is now in a sales role. Wendy Stewart, head of global commercial banking. That's a name I am familiar with. She is out of Atlanta. She was the Atlanta market president, I guess. And she's all over Bank of America online as well. A couple interviews with her. There's a couple of charitable things that she's a part of. She very well could be, you know, one of the best people that works at Bank of America. One of the things I'm happy about is much like Raul Anaya, who ran the Los Angeles market for Bank of America. Uh, the Notorious Banker has infiltrated Wendy Stewart, and the Notorious Banker has helped customers in the Georgia area get to Wendy Stewart to get the help that they need to save their business, to save their homes, to save their accounts from being overdrawn. And she has been relatively forthright with those people that I sent her way. Of course, she doesn't know that I sent them her way, but I did do that, and I did follow up with those people, and for the most part, she helped. So if she's head of global commercial banking, which is as far away as customer service as you can get, because global commercial banking is $100 million accounts, billion-dollar accounts, billion-dollar companies, so she's not going to talk to the average person living in the projects anymore. Um... Well-deserved, and I'm happy that these people that I have interacted with are getting promoted because as the Notorious Banker grows, as my project grows, I can say that, hey, I have had inroads with these people who are important people at this company, and it makes it makes me smile, man. It, it puts a smile on my face. I love it. It says, internally, Athanasia, Borthwick, and Bullen are seen as among contenders for future CEO According to the person with knowledge of the company who declined to be identified about speaking about personnel matters, no one knows anything, so I don't know who the fuck this person is, but they should have just said their name because they don't know. But Moynihan has publicly said he wants to serve for as long as he can and admired Warren Buffett's long tenure atop Berkshire Hathaway. Um, Warren Buffett's like 91 years old, so Moynihan has 30 more years to go. Dude, let's pray that this doesn't happen. I really do believe that Moynihan is going to stick around to the end of the decade, which gives the Notorious Banker podcast um, 
ample stories to cover between now and 2030, I'm sure. Um, but it's interesting. Seeing this overhaul just reminds me of being a small-time banker in a small city. Getting on those Friday conference calls and saying, hey, you know the manager of the Sunland Park, New Mexico branch? They're actually going to be moving to Upper Valley. And the Upper Valley manager is going to move to the Joe Battle branch. You know, these are all El Paso landmarks and street names here that I'm familiar with after 13 years of working in this area. Um, but those managers know damn well that they would move around like that all of a sudden and then some someone would get promoted to assistant manager and then someone will retire and then that assistant manager becomes manager and then they shift this person over here and this person's underperforming so they're going to go over there this is what banks do this is what all companies do so you know whenever i talk about you know crappy service with banks and crappy things happening at banks this is everywhere this is every company but it really does impact the customer experience because what happens is whether you get to the, the branch level and you see these people moving around and you can't get comfortable with the people that are at your bank, or whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's in you know 100 Tryon Street in Charlotte, North Carolina, headquarters of Bank of America, people aren't familiar with the people on top. And then the people that you talk to about something one day can very well easily be in another job title the next day. And the person that you're talking with after that person may not be as insightful or helpful. And that impacts people in, in a company, and that impacts the overall experience. And I've said it before, you know, management at banks don't have a lot of guidance from their bosses, so customer service suffers like that. It's a trickle-down effect. 204,000 employees can be impacted by one crazy CEO like Brian Moynihan and one, you know, person who's the head of retail banking or the head of sales or whatever. That's just the way it is, and that's just the way that... Banks like it. Banks like turmoil. Banks like constant movement. They tell you never to get too comfortable with a customer because when you get too com comfortable with a customer and you're talking about their kids and their spouse and going to Vegas and all that, I used to get that shit a lot. They're like, James, you're spending all your time talking about Vegas, but you're not talking about the credit card offer you had for him because your bosses would spy on the customers that you helped. And they're saying, hey, why didn't you talk to him about refinancing his home loan? Well, I talked to him a year ago about it, and he wasn't interested. Well, it's been a year. Maybe something happened. Maybe he got sick. Maybe his kids are going to college. Now his kids are 10 years old. They're not going to college anytime soon. It's never too early to think about that, James. And they're always finding a way to get on your ass. So it's always this turmoil about, hey, you know what? Don't be a friend to your customer. Be a banker for your customer because they want you you know, to be there for their money and to trust you with their money. And your job is to is to make sure that you show that trust. That way you can offer them solutions, aka products, to grow with this company. You mean for the company to grow because of my relationship with that customer, right? Anyway, you know, talking about this until I'm blue in the face is never gonna get old because I enjoy it. I just knew that the Tom Montag thing a couple of weeks ago the Anfinity Kane thing was a drop in the bucket. They are, you know, reloading, recharging, getting some new people and new roles here, seeing who performs and who doesn't, seeing who's going to be the next trusted consigliere to Brian Moynihan. Who the hell knows? All I know is it's not impacting the stock price, and I'm sure it's not going to impact their quarterly profits. Bank of America is trying a bunch of new things just because they can. That's what they like to do. But I never get sick of it. And now all of a sudden in the corporate boardroom there, I got two people who have been notorious bankered by yours truly and I love it.
We'll be right back after this brief promotional consideration. We're going to talk about Senator Elizabeth Warren talking about breaking up Wells Fargo and why I think it's a good thing and why it's something that I've talked about before many times. So please stick around. Hey everyone, it's James, the Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on TikTok. That's at Notorious Banker on TikTok. Yeah, I know it's kind of weird to have a 38-year-old on TikTok, but you know, I was so inspired by people who share couponing deals on there, home and car hacks, among other things. It's a very influential place to be right now, and you can get a lot of traction with a lot of people fast. And I really think my brand of humor, along with banking news and information, and stories about unethical things going on in big banks, fits perfectly on TikTok. No, I won't be doing a lot of dancing, but what I will be doing is a lot of information giving to you, the general public, you know, the 67 million people who bank at Bank of America, the 30 million plus at Bank of Wells Fargo. You need to know the stories and you need to know the tea behind what's going on in the banking world. So if you join me on TikTok at Notorious Banker, I am going to blow your mind. I'm going to try to make you laugh as well, but I'm going to keep it informational and I'm going to keep it fun. So join me on TikTok today. That's at Notorious Banker. All right, and we're back with more Notorious Banker. So Elizabeth Warren, senator from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, did something bold a couple of days ago. It was something that I didn't even catch right away on Monday morning because I was busy just trying to reacclimate from a, uh, the first week of the NFL season. Really slow going um, that Monday morning. I just wasn't used to the routine of football season and my work and everything that I do. So I did some Bank of America searches and I didn't really see anything. So I searched Wells Fargo about lunchtime. And then all of a sudden I see all this Elizabeth Warren stuff. I'm like, God damn it, I missed the boat on this. I could have totally made this the topic of the day on my Twitter. And I could have had hundreds of thousands of impressions um, and new faces, new followers at that point. So yeah, I was a little tardy, a little late to the party, but it's okay. You know, this is something that I talk about all the time and I feel comfortable that this is my wheelhouse and this is something that I really, really want to discuss because we've discussed it several times in the past and I really think it um, bears repeating again here. And of course, with the hyperbole of a very prominent Democratic senator, um, stating what she stated, of course there are going to be skeptics, of course there's going to be people on the other side of the aisle who don't want to listen to a, one word that she says. Of course, you had the former president call her Pocahontas, lampooning her background, her family history, and you know it's a whole other topic and something I don't want to get into, but you have people who still call her that, you have people who still just don't want to listen to her because she has that D. She has that one letter that's by her name that half the country just don't want to listen to her because of that. And that's sad. That's, you know, yeah, that's America in a nutshell today. But America, you know, and I, I practice this all the time with my social media presence. You know, I, I don't have to agree with you. In fact, I could think you're totally wrong for the things that you say. But I'm going to let you say them because it's America and you have the right to say these things. As long as you don't impede on the freedoms and rights of others, as long as you don't do something that can incite or harm other people, go ahead and say your mind, speak your mind. But what Elizabeth Warren said um, in a letter to Fed Chair Jerome Powell, it was huge. And it's something from a very prominent person that needed to be said. You know, James the Notorious Banker is just a podcast host. He's just this guy on Twitter who helps people for a living fight back against big banks. I have a, I have some influence. I don't have a lot of influence. Senator Warren does. And in this letter to Jerome Powell, she urged the Fed to break up Wells Fargo. 
Now, there was a $250 million fine that was levied on Wells Fargo last week for um, unfair business practices in the in the home loan and auto loan in, um, part of Wells Fargo, you know, and, you know, I've mentioned before, um, especially with my Bank of America ties, that when you go into a branch, you very well can be dealing with the greatest people that work at that company, the nicest, most helpful people. But if you hate the mortgage department because they bought Countrywide and Countrywide fucked over people, that doesn't mean you have to hate me. And I used to get bad reviews for my performance based on the performance or lack thereof of Countrywide and other aspects of Bank of America. Like, for instance, I'd get a one-star review and they'd say, Oh, Countrywide bought my house in 2006 and now Bank of America bought Countrywide. So this is a horrible company. And then I would get yelled at because I helped this person and that rating was for me, not for Countrywide. It was assigned to me. So I always tell people, hey, you know, whenever something happens in one part of a company, that doesn't mean it's the whole company. Yes, they still share the same name, but you know what? There are some parts of this that are not rotten. The loan part, the loan, um, you know, home loans, auto loans, whether it's at B of A or Wells Fargo, it's toxic. There's a lot of bad stuff going on, in my opinion. And obviously the Fed um, saw that and they fined Wells Fargo $250 million for um, their business practices. So Senator Warren um, urged the Federal Reserve to break up Wells Fargo. And this is from a CNBC article, which I'll link to from Jacob Promuk from CNBC. It says, in a letter to Fed Chair Jerome Powell, she urged the breakup of Wells Fargo, arguing a string of scandals as the financial titan puts consumers at risk. The Massachusetts Democrat called on the Central Bank's Board of Governors to use its authority to separate Wells Fargo's banking unit from its financial services business. She said that the Fed could break up Wells Fargo by revoking its license to operate as a financial holding company. And in the letter, it says, the Fed has the power to put consumers first and it must use it, Warren wrote by invoking its full authority to protect consumers in the financial system and requiring Wells Fargo to separate its consumer-facing banking arm from the rest of its financial activities, the Fed can ensure that Wells Fargo faces appropriate consequences for its long-standing, ungovernable behavior. While Wells Fargo did not respond directly to Warren on Tuesday, it put out a press release highlighting efforts to change its practices and meet regulators' demands. The company said... <clears throat> We are a different bank today than we were five years ago because we've made significant progress. Yeah, good, Wells Fargo. Financial giant proved, pointed to moves to split business units into smaller groups, change company leaders, and create teams to monitor sales practices and risks. So apparently there's no sales goals at Wells Fargo, right? Yeah, no, there is sales goals, so shut up with that. Washington has increased its scrutiny of Wells Fargo's practices since the 2016 revelation that the company created millions of bank accounts in real people's names, as opposed to fake people's names, without their knowledge or consent. Wells Fargo has paid more than $4 billion in penalties since the scandal came to light. Companies' issues did not end there. Last week, the OCC hit Wells Fargo with a $250 million fine saying it violated a 2018 consent order, a measure that requires financial institutions to address violations of regulatory standards, and that's where the loan thing came in. Even so, Wells Fargo said last week that a 2016 CFPB consent order tied to the fake account scandal had expired. That can signal an easing of government pressure on the, on the company. The Fed put an asset cap on Wells Fargo in 2018. Warren cited the scandal with fake accounts and other practices in Wells Fargo's insurance and wealth management business, 
in contending that the con- company is an irredeemable repeat offender with an inability to meet regulatory requirements and treat its consumers honestly and fairly. So that's a CNBC article. So my thing is this, okay? So we know that Wells Fargo's had issues. The fake account scandal five years ago. I was working in banking when that happened. The shit hit the fan for them, and it hit it hard. Billions of dollars in fines. You know, the practices with loans and everything. I mean, that's something that obviously, you know, the government is aware of. That's why they find them. And the asset cap put on Wells Fargo limited how much money they can make, limited how many assets they could have. And that impacted customers because of PPP loans. Wells Fargo was not trying to help as many people with PPP loans as possible because if they brought those loans on to Wells, that was above their asset cap. And that was something that can get them in further trouble with the government, which basically the government indirectly made Wells Fargo a very apathetic figure when it came to COVID-19 stuff like that. So, you know, Elizabeth Warren's letter, you know, it it doesn't ring hollow to me. It's genuine. I really do believe there's a lot of people, yours truly included, that do believe that Wells Fargo needs to be broken up um, for the simple fact of of this reason, okay? Now, Bank of America made $9 billion last quarter. Wells Fargo made $6 billion. You know, contrary to popular belief, they do not make $6 billion dollars off of overdraft fees of single moms in the projects. They don't. They, they don't. It's a fact of nature, okay? Do they charge those overdraft fees to single moms in the projects? Absolutely they do. And it sucks. It impacts people. People starve because of overdraft fees. People can't pay their bills because of overdraft fees. But by no means is that the cash cow for Wells Fargo. Is that the cash cow for Bank of America or Chase or whoever? They make their money through commercial banking, through, you know, high value, high dollar loans, lending their, you know, their credit card processing business, their real estate investments, um, investment opportunities, wealth management, all of this shit that big banks do. That's how they make their billions. You know, some can argue that retail banking is almost a lost leader. They put so much effort into making their branches pretty, making the carpet nice, putting nice decor on, you know, inside their branches and, you know, just making it a pleasurable experience for the average Joe to cash their paycheck. But that's not what they really do. Banks don't really just do that. I know people think that, hey, when they go into a Bank of America branch or go into a Wells Fargo branch, I'm experiencing this company as a whole. No, this is one of many tentacles and one of the tentacles that, honestly, they don't care if it's atrophied and falls off. It doesn't matter to them because even if they got rid of retail banking, they would still make a very healthy profit and they would probably cut a lot of overhead at that. So when Elizabeth Warren says, hey, break up the banking side of things um, and separate it from this and that, It's all well and good, but what's going to happen once it is broken up, if it ever is broken up? Does it necessarily mean that it's going to thrive, that it's going to succeed, that it's going to be for the customers? No, it doesn't mean that. In fact, it can be worse. Hell, if they ever force them to break up the retail banking arm, it very well can just dissolve. It very well can just go away, and that's one less option for customers at that point. Who the hell knows? But all, all all I know is this, and all I can tell you is this. It's nice to see that there's at least a conversation about this. It's just a letter to the Fed chair. The Fed chair, you know, arguably has um, the keys of the car. They can do what they want. If they want to investigate Wells, you know, further or they want to go deeper into this, they very well could. 
like I said, I hate getting into the political side of these things, but of course you have a president who is uh, very friendly with banks. They don't call him the senator from MBNA for any particular reason other than that he was in bed with MBNA, which became Bank of America. And that's fine, you know. If you get offended by that as a Democrat, then, you know, just don't talk to me. You know, I, you know, I voted for the man, and I also knew his deep ties to a company that I didn't like. But that's every wealthy person. That's every person of influence. What can I say? That's just life. Does that mean that he's going to be nicer to B of A? Should they do something like this? No, not necessarily. Does this mean that he's going to be meaner to Wells Fargo or nicer to Wells Fargo? Who knows? But you have a very bank-friendly administration. You have people who aren't as gung-ho about breaking up a Wells Fargo as someone like Senator Warren is. And this may all be just, you know, for show at that point. And I really hope it's not. But what is it going to take for Wells Fargo to finally lose everything, to lose their ability to be a company the way that they are? They already made 3 million fake accounts. They already have these unfair business practices when it, as it pertains to loans, uh, their insurance uh, arm of the company, wealth management issues, and of course their CEO and their controversial comments that he made. They have all these things. When is enough finally enough? Who the hell knows? I don't think that Wells Fargo would ever be broken up the way that Warren wants to, the way that I wanted to. But I at least want oversight. I want people to at least look at this and yell at them. I would love another hearing in front of you know Congress where these senators are tearing them a new asshole. I mean, that's what I hope for, I strive for. I really hope that happens. That way... It's social media fodder. That way it gives me stuff to talk about with my followers as well. But, you know, how long does that take? What becomes of it? And inevitably, if the banking arm of Wells Fargo gets broken up from the rest of it, it's still going to be Wells Fargo people or, you know, cast-offs who are going to be in charge of the retail banking thing for consumers. So is there going to be any change for consumers? No. That's why it's semi-hollow at that point in time. But the conversation definitely needs to be had. And I think that this made a lot of waves, um, you know, whenever Warren wrote this letter. And I think people, you know, had a discussion about it. Even people who didn't agree or don't agree with Warren on a lot of things saying, hey, I don't agree with her, but I do agree that Wells Fargo needs to be broken up. These are the type of things that bring the company, you know, the country together, not the company, uh, the country together. And these are the things that um, need to be discussed. And we've gotten away from talking about these things because of COVID, because of the election stuff, because of all this other craziness that happens in our world. We're not talking about the thing that impacts all of us day to day. The fact of the matter is 3 million fake accounts. You know, hundreds of thousands of people impacted, hundreds of thousands of people's credit scores credit pools, you know, fees owed, inability to open up bank accounts elsewhere. Those are things that impacted so many customers. And Wells Fargo was so apathetic in the fact that um, they allowed that to happen and they really didn't do much to stop it in the name of sales. You know, I really think that it's just kind of just getting your name out there type of thing with Warren um, in this aspect, okay? So yeah, the fake account scandal was five years ago. There were some hearings about it not too long ago. This is stuff that we always talk about. Um, we hadn't really talked about it much recently. But, of course, the other day, the Wells Fargo $250 million fine came up. And then all the old dirt comes up. And we start talking about it again. 
So I really feel that the timing of this is kind of suspect because I really think if you want to talk about breaking up Wells Fargo, if you want to talk about all these things that Wells Fargo did, you could have had a start um, in 2016 talking about this. And I really think that if you start talking about it for the first time now, well, you've missed out on so much. And the $250 million fine that Wells Fargo did um, get charged last week, well, that's a drop in the bucket compared to the $4 billion in fees it was charged with their other practices. And why wasn't the conversation that hardcore then? Who the hell knows? You know, they didn't really have that conversation that deep back when the fake account scandal was still thriving. Now, here's the thing. I really hope that big banks at some point divest their retail banking operations, whether that means selling them to someone else or spinning them off or whatever. I Like I said, I really do believe that Wells Fargo retail banking, Bank of America retail banking, are entirely different animals than the way that those companies make their money. Yes, their feeder system. Sometimes you find the random rich person in a branch that you can escalate to Merrill Lynch, that you can escalate to wealth management. That you know, you know, bankers inside a branch are basically, you know, the ones digging for oil, digging for gold, and those people up top are the people who are going to reap the benefits of you digging for gold, digging for oil, and yes, they'll make money, but they don't do it all the time. And and I learned this a long time ago, whenever I was opening accounts at Bank of America. Yeah, you'll find the occasional person with money in a branch, but the people who have a shit ton of money, not only has the, have the big banks found them already, um, the big banks have already, you know, the same way that you would lick a, a donut or a pastry on the counter, that way, like, your younger sibling can't eat it. Well, they've already licked those people, and they've already hey, said, hey, these people are ours, these people are already our clients, they've already been helped. Um, go on your merry way and go find us some more. You know, it's it's a it's a system where they they supposedly reward success and hard work and salesmanship on the lower levels, but in reality, you can have a million people who have a thousand dollars in their account. They only care about one person who has ten million dollars in their account. It's just the way that they're built. That's just the way that they are. And once we get into the understanding that hey. Me with $5,000 in my checking account, I'm not important to this bank. Then it makes the conversation easier saying, well, I want to be somewhere that I'm appreciated. I want I want there to be a bank that appreciates us um, even though we don't have a lot of money. I used to laugh whenever I was at B of A whenever customers would say, hey, you know, I have $8,000 with this bank right here. Dude, Bank of America made $1,100 a second. So let me do something really quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. In that time that it took me to count to eight, that person $8,000 was made in profit by Bank of America in that time. So your $8,000 means shit to them. Your $8,000 means shit to Wells Fargo. That's the problem. To have a business that has such disdain for its own clientele is the reason it needs to be broken up. I really do believe that, and, and you know, and we could have conversations for days and weeks about this. 
that banking is like a utility. I do believe the internet should be considered a utility. It's like the water. It's like electricity at that point. You can function in a civilized society without the internet. And you can function like a normal human being without a bank account. Because there's inevitably an insurance company that wants to draft a payment from your checking account. Or there's a grocery store that wants you to use your debit card anytime you make a purchase. That's just part of life in 2021, soon to be 2022 America. But are Wells Fargo, are big banks really, you know, in it to play the same game of life that, that you have to? No, not really. If they can find a way to make the same amount of money without having to do all this picky shit, then guess what? They're going to find a way to do it. So I really think in the grand scheme of things, does you know Wells Fargo give a shit if their retail banking was spun off? I actually don't believe that they would care one bit because there's other money to be made elsewhere. And you can kind of you know align other resources to make more money in those aspects that you do care about. But Senator Warren sending this letter just kind of opened up a conversation again. That was much needed. That is much needed. That needs to be continued going forward. Although it may not result in the company ever being broken up, it at least brings attention to the fact that Wells Fargo just paid a quarter of a billion dollar fine again last week. Wells Fargo's paid billions of dollars of fines. It's impacted millions of people. There are so many people who just have this this loathing, disdain for this company. And any time that we get a chance to kind of bring up those memories, it makes us it makes them real again. It makes us remember. Hey, this company is just another reason why my bank sucks. My name is James, also known as The Notorious Banker. Thank you so very much for listening to my podcast. You can email me at james at thenotoriousbanker.com or thenotoriousbanker at gmail.com. Voicemail line is 575-322-4127. You can follow me on Twitter at BankBetterGuy. You can also follow me on TikTok at NotoriousBanker. And if you feel and believe in what I do, go to patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker. Contribute at least $1 a month to NotoriousBanker and help me fight back against big banks. Um, you can also make donations on uh, Venmo or Cash App at TheBankerDude, T-H-E, BankerDude, all one word. Um, I would really appreciate it because, you know what, this is a lot of work for not a lot of money. And if you have 5 bucks here, 10 bucks there, you can make the Notorious Banker Project succeed in ways that I only had dreamed of. We continue to help people over $1.8 million of refunds, claim reversals, help with home loans, PPP loans, monthly maintenance fees, overdraft fees, and the like. We work hard. It doesn't matter if it's a $3 fee or it's an $800,000 house, like our friend Dr. V in Georgia. The Notorious Banker Project works really hard to make sure that the banks help you and not hurt you, and I will be there if they hurt you, because the Notorious Banker gives no fucks. We will work hard to make sure that banks pay attention to you. My name is James Notorious Banker, and thank you so very much for listening to this. I will be back really soon with another podcast. Might be back sooner as Breaking News Warrants. But until we meet again, my friends, my name is James, once again, also known as Notorious Banker, signing off. You have a great day, and we'll talk to you very soon.